Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And today I want to ask you a question. Am I really supposed to be humble? Isn't that a great question? Uh, We think about that and we kind of assume that as believers in Christ that we should be humble. But as I look at what the Bible says about humility, I think sometimes we have a false sense of understanding what humility is. You know, LifeWay Research and Legionnaire Ministries recently examined some theological awareness or the lack thereof of American evangelicals. And so instead of defining evangelical by whether the participants identify or using their own definition, they found that those who are part of the National Association of Evangelicals fall into a certain category. So they looked at these believers to see if they are on track with their theology. And so these are people that are probably like people that are listening right now, uh, who have a high view of God's word, uh, who have a high view of biblical marriage. And so when we look at this, it was kind of disheartening uh, when I saw these stats. For example, here's the first thing they find. First, false theology. People have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. 82% of evangelicals believe that. They agree with that. However, this is contrary to John 6, where Jesus says, No man can come to me unless the Father who has sent me will draw him to him. And so we don't have this ability to turn to God on our own initiative. It is the Father who, through the Spirit, draws us to him. Here's another myth or false theology. Individuals must contribute to their own salvation. 74% of evangelicals agree with that. Well, that is contrary to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says just the opposite. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own strength. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So individuals do not contribute to their salvation. It is all according to the mercy of God, by the grace of God, as a gift from God. Well, here's another myth, or another false belief. Jesus is the first and the greatest being created by God. 71% of evangelicals think that statement is true. Well, even if philosophy could prove the absolute necessity of God's eternal nature, God himself has revealed it to all of mankind through general revelation and specific revelation. And so when we look at Jesus has always been, always will be, he was never created by God, he is God. And so when we think about general revelation, for example, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen and perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, the reason this is so important is because if you believe that Jesus was God's first and greatest creation, then you're going to look at Jesus as on the same level of us, because he created us. And that's why, for example, if our Mormon friends, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he became God and you can become God too. So regardless of special revelation, when Moses asked God for his name, God replied, I am who I am, which means that he will not be defined by any other than himself. He is self-existent. The self-existent one says Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. You see, God doesn't derive or receive his life from anyone or anything else, but he has life in himself, and he gives life to all things. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. 
God is the everlasting God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, and so is Jesus. So when we look at John 1, 1 through 4, for example, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that has been made. In Him is life, and life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh. Now, it doesn't say the Word was created. It became flesh. Jesus in the form of flesh was 2,000 years ago. He dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So notice that Jesus, who is the Word, becomes flesh, was both God and is God. This along with the fact that the Holy Spirit is also God forms the basis of the doctrine of the Trinity. God is one in essence, three in persons. So please don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is the first and the greatest creation of God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Three in one. That is part of the Trinity. There's another false doctrine that unfortunately many evangelical Christians adhere to. And that is that God knows all that happens, but doesn't determine all that happens. 65% agree. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans of man's heart, but the Lord's purpose always prevails. Here's another verse that drives home this point. Psalm twenty two twenty eight, 28. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Paul put it this way to the Colossian believers in Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things and in him all things are held together. Jeremiah said this, Lord, I know that people's lives are, are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. The sovereignty of God is a cardinal doctrine of the faith. We believe that everything happens because God causes it to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen, but he also causes everything to happen. So as we look at these particular false doctrines, here's another one. And this blows my mind that evangelical Christians would believe this. The Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 56% of evangelicals agree with that statement. You see, many find the doctrine of the Holy Spirit confusing. You know, is the Holy Spirit a force, or is it a person or something else? What does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible provides many ways to help us understand that the Holy Spirit is truly a person. That is, He is a personal being rather than an impersonal being. First, every pronoun used in reference to the Holy Spirit is He, not it. The original Greek language of the New Testament is very explicit in confirming the person of the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit, pneuma, is neuter, which would naturally take neuter pronouns to have grammatical agreement, yet in most cases, masculine pronouns are found. You see, grammatically, there is no other way to understand the pronouns of the New Testament related to the Holy Spirit. He is always referred to as he, as a person. You see, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity. Uh, Well, here's another false statement, okay, before I go too far in that. Uh, 48% of evangelical Christians believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. I I was shocked to think that 48% of evangelicals would believe that. Those who worship the Lord must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those who follow the Islamic faith are not worshiping God in spirit and truth. 
They don't recognize Jesus as Savior or Lord. They look at him as a good prophet, a good teacher, but they don't recognize him as God. Here's another statement that kind of blew my mind. My good deeds will help me to earn my place in heaven. 39% agree. So when we think about getting to heaven, we will never get to heaven on our good deeds. Not by works, lest any man should boast. 37% believe that God will always reward faith with material blessings. Wow. I don't think they've read Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is very clear that men had great faith and did get great things, but there were others who had equally great faith, who were torn asunder, who were persecuted greatly for their faith. As a matter of fact, Paul says, of whom this world was not worthy. So when we look at this matter of humility, does God expect us to be humble? Well, let's look at what Peter has to say. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility one to another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm and strengthen you and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, as we read this passage, you may be looking and thinking, well, it's so hard in this day and age to walk in humility because it seems like you got to stand up and you got to fight for everything you have. And and it seems like we get insulted if we are humble, we come across as weak and anemic. And so there is a way, however, I believe, that we can turn insults into blessings. And those of you who have listened to me any length of time, you know that I I love the Boston Red Sox. Well, there was a player on the team many years ago by the name of Wade Boggs, and he decided he would silence his critics with kindness. Yeah, former Boston Red Sox Hall of Famer and third baseman Wade Boggs used to hate going to the Yankee Stadium. Uh, Not because of the Yankees, they never gave him that much trouble, but because of a fan. Uh, That's right, one fan. Uh, This guy had a box seat close to the field, and when the Red Sox were in town, he would torment Wade Boggs by shouting all kinds of obscenities and insults. Now, it's hard to imagine one fan uh, getting under a player's skin, but apparently this guy had that recipe. Well, one day before the game, as Boggs was warming up, the fan began his typical routine, yelling, Boggs, you stink, and variations of that theme. Well, Boggs decided that he had enough. He walked directly over to the man who was sitting in the stands with his friends and says, Hey, fella, are you the guy who's always yelling at me? The man says, Yeah, it's me. What are you going to do about it? Uh, Wade took out a new baseball out of his pocket, autographed it, tossed it to the man, and went back to the field and continued his pregame warm-up. You know that that man never yelled at Boggs again. In fact, he became one of Boggs' biggest fans at Yankee Stadium. 
you know, prior to Jesus Christ coming? Do Greek philosophers despise humility as a character trait because it implied weakness? I mean, you were inadequate, you were worthless if you were a humble person. The word was used as a bad word, as an inferior word. You were inferior if you were considered humble. This, however, is not the meaning defined in the Bible and is so completely illustrated by the life of Christ. You see, biblical humility is recognized by ourselves when we are inadequate and we are worthless, according to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Yet it is because we are created in God's image that we have infinite worth and dignity. So true humility produces this gratitude in us. We see that it is God himself who has lifted us up and he has given us our natural gifts and our spiritual gifts. It was John Riskin who said, I believe the first test of a truly great man is his humility. I don't mean by humility that he doubts his power or that he has this hesitation to speak about his opinion, but really great men have that feeling that greatness is not in them, but through them, that they could not do or be anything else that God made them to be. Andrew Murray said, the humble man feels no jealousy or no envy. He can praise God when others are preferred, and he can be blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the Spirit of Christ, who pleased not himself, who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, the heart of kindness and meekness, long-suffering and humility. M.D. DeHaan used to say, Humility is something we should constantly pray for. You never thank God that we have. You know, as I think about humility, it's the biggest battle in your life to walk in humility. Augustus Rowland, who is a professor at psych and physics in John Hopkins University, was once called an expert witness at a trial. And during this particular trial, a friend who's well acquainted with Rowland's disposition expressed surprise at the professor's uncharacteristic answer. Rowland's answer is, well, what did you expect me to do? I was under oath. When we think about living under oath, we are always under oath. Why should God's sheep, God's children, live in humility? Well, 1 John 1, 6 gives us an insight into it. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which Jesus walked. You see, if you are really a child of the king, you will be walking in humility. You know, the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. houses the world's largest collection of books. 32 million books are cataloged. About 2 million people visit this library every single year. And they have an amazing budget, an annual budget of $650 million. You know, if you delve into the holding of this amazing collection, which world leader do you think would shelf the most space? Maybe Washington, maybe Lincoln, maybe FDR or George Patton. I mean, who knows? Who would hold the the greatest shelf space in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C.? Well, actually, it may surprise you to learn that there are more books about Jesus Christ found in the Library of Congress than any other person. Jesus walked in humility. You see, humility is required. Peter says, in the same way, you who are younger, 
submit yourselves to your elders. Now, Peter's not just talking about chronological age, but he's talking about those who are more mature in the faith. Those who are younger should submit to those who are more mature. You know, Micah drove home the point that God has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. I love what Abraham Lincoln said about humility. He used the illustration of a skunk. He says, what kills a skunk is the publicity that he gives to himself. In other words, the skunk lets out a stink, and now everybody knows where he is, and that's what gives him away. You see, humility is required. Secondly, I think we can say that for the believer, humility is reasonable. James reminds us that all of us should clothe ourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. Therefore, we have this opportunity to know that God is opposed to the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a constant way of living our lives. This is not where to be occasionally humble. We're to be clothed in humility. You know, you think about your car. You went out this morning and, and you started it up. And, and if your car starts once every three tries, would you consider it reliable? You think about the mail coming to your house every day. I mean, if the postmaster or the postman skipped to deliver your house every Monday and Thursday, is he really trustworthy? If you don't go to work once or twice a week, are you really a reliable employee? If your refrigerator stops working for a day or two and, and every now and then, do you say that it works and is very reliable? If your water heater provides icy cold showers every other day, is that really dependable? I mean, if you skipped a couple of your payments on your electric bill, do you think the power company would really mind? I mean, if you fail to worship God one or two Sundays a month, do you expect to be called a faithful Christian? We expect loyalty and reliability from things and other people. Isn't it reasonable, then, that God just might expect the same from us? When it comes to humility, it's reasonable. God opposes the prideful, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, I do want you to know that humility is rewarded. When we continue looking at, at what James says about humility, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He will lift you up in due time. And now that's an important statement to remember. In due time, as we humble ourselves, it may feel like God is not going to even understand or recognize the fact that we are living in humility. But it says in due time, he'll lift you up. You see, when we're filled with pride, we will tend to lift ourselves up before due time. And if we lift ourselves up before due time, then pride is going to take us down. But if the Lord lifts you up in, in his time, based upon the fact that we are walking in humility, we don't have to worry about stumbling. If you stay humble, you never have to worry about stumbling. Humility has its reward. Humility is a fear of the Lord, and its wages are riches and honor and life. In other words, when you're living in humility, reverencing the Lord, God takes care of you with riches and honor and life. I want you to know the psalmist was very clear in understanding that the Lord is to be exalted, yet he regards the lowly. It is the haughty who are far off from him. It is those who are filled with themselves that are far off from God. There's a German proverb that says, too much humility is actually prideful. In other words, if I am prideful of my humility, I'm really prideful. 
Well, I want to know today, how can I walk in humility? Well, I think there's five ways to be humble without being abused. And and maybe that's the reason that we're afraid to be humble is because we're afraid somebody's going to take advantage of me. If I come across as meek and weak, really, it's not weakness, it's strength under control. But if I humble myself, somebody's going to take advantage of me. I'm going to be abused. Well, there's five ways to walk in humility without being abused. Number one, be carefree. Peter tells us to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. To throw upon that care and the mercy of the Lord. Realizing that when I cast my burden on the Lord, he will sustain me. So Peter uses a fisherman's term here, take and cast your anxiety on him. Be careful. Don't worry about your problems. Cast them on him. And then the psalmist says, as you cast that burden upon the Lord, he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Chuck Swindoll uses this equation when he talks about being carefree. He says, submission to others plus humility before God minus worry of the world, is genuine relief. Let me give that to you again. Submission to others, those who are in authority over us, humility before God, adding that to it, subtracting out the worry of the world, then you have genuine relief. And then you can live a carefree life, realizing that God is ultimately in control, and I walk humbly before His presence. Here's a second way in which you can be humble without being abused. Number two, be careful. Okay, so Peter says, be alert, be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. When Hugh Latimer was preaching one day in the presence of King Henry VIII, he reports that he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king is here. Be careful what you say. Then he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer. Remember that the King of Kings is here. Be careful what you do not say. For such unflinching faithfulness, Latimer was eventually burned at the stake. But he feared failing God more than he feared offending men. You see, the faithful disciple values his soul immeasurably more than he values his body. And he will gladly sacrifice that which is only physical and corruptible for the sake of that which is spiritual and incorruptible. So be careful, be alert. Not only is the devil around, ready to pounce on you, but the Lord is there with you. He hears everything that you say. As a kid, do you remember singing that song, Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say? For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. So be carefree and also be careful. But number three, Be counteractive. Peter says, resist him. That's resisting the enemy, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of persecution. So be counteractive, consistently standing faithful. Whether you feel like standing faithful or not, continue to be faithful. And then consciously, others focused realizing that others are going through the same kind of sufferings that I'm going through. You know, every time I think that I've got it really bad and and my life has got a lot of pressure on it, on me, and a lot of stress on me, I just think about what some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. 
I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria who are facing constant persecution. Not only are they facing persecution from those who don't believe in the faith, but they're facing persecution to just give in and to give up. I want to encourage you, stand firm in the faith. Well, tomorrow I'm going to finish up this message, so I hope that you join me tomorrow as I go through the five ways to be humble without being abused. I hope that you join me tomorrow as we finish up this message. And thank you so much for joining me today. And I do want to remind you that if I can pray for you in any way, or if you'd like to come worship with us, we'd love to have you come worship at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Why don't you come this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045? I'd love to hear from you. If I can pray for you, please send me a text message to 252-267-2365. I promise you I'll pray for you by name. I will get our prayer team praying for you every Thursday morning, 5 a.m. We're on a conference call, and uh, we pray for everybody who sends in a prayer request. We will pray for you by name. So thank you so much for joining us today. The Lord bless you today, and may the Lord keep you, and may you walk in humility today, realizing that in the right time, the Lord will raise you up if you will walk in humility. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.